Welcome to this week's episode of Off the Assembly Line. I'm your host, Rebecca Reed, and every week I sit down for possibility-sparking conversation with innovative educators and entrepreneurs who are bringing the future to education, one beautiful disruption at a time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week. I've got one quick announcement for you before we get started. Mark your calendars for February 25th. I'll be hosting a virtual town hall to connect educators and business professionals who are passionate about contributing to education innovation. It's going to be an inspiring hour to share knowledge, questions, and set the stage for ongoing collaboration to impact education. The event is free, but space is going to be limited. So check out the show notes for a link to register and register as soon as you can. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, let's get to the episode. This week, I am so stoked to be talking with truly the most innovative educator I've ever had the honor of seeing in action, the creator of Liberation Education 2086. 20 is the kind of teacher they make movies about, the kind of educator whose ability to connect with students and call out the best in them seems almost like magic. Throughout his career, 20 has truly done it all, teaching all grade levels K through 12, all general subject areas, across public, charter, and private schools, and across demographics. And in addition to teaching full-time, 20 recently launched Liberation Education, an education video platform filled with original, next-level content for students, teachers, and parents. Think of it like an educational Netflix. In this episode, 20 and I talk about harnessing the power of kid energy to create curriculum that students want to connect with and how to thrive as a true creative in the current education system. Here we go. All right, I'm on with 2086. Thanks so much for being on with me today. Becca, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So excited about this conversation. I know I've been hounding you for months now, (laughs) and I'm so glad we're finally here and doing this thing. Um... Let's start with the story behind your artist name, 2086. Yeah, so uh, it's it's pretty simple once you know what it means. So I was born in the year 1986. I am a millennial. And uh, 2086 is 100 years after the year I was born. And so that part of the name, so the, the full name, if you want to find me online, it's 2086XXOO. And that part of the name basically is just, uh, it, it always makes me think, a hundred years from when I was born, I mean, chances are I'll probably be gone. And what kind of life do I want to leave behind? Um, and, and I've I've been alive long enough to take on some endeavors, and those endeavors, some of them have ended well, and some of them haven't. And so it it really refines my focus and forces me to ask, what kind of legacy do I want to leave for myself and for my children, for my community? And so it's just it's always forward thinking, and and I think that that kind of symbolizes who I am. And then the uh, the XXOO, a couple different meanings to that. Mostly, it's just um, like the XX, like if somebody died, like you know, like, you know, in a cartoon, like the character dies, they've got X's over their eyes. Um, the, I, I like to think of like the role of a teacher as like when I die to myself, or, or maybe one day, you know, when I when I die, when I actually die, um, the OO after that is like eyes opening. So I die to myself, and 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 through that, I, I allow other eyes to open. And so that's a huge part of it. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's basically the gist of it. Awesome. I'm so glad to know that story. I've seen, I've seen this artist's name, you know, in different spots over the last couple of years, and I don't think I've ever had the chance to ask you about it. So I'm glad to know what's, what's underneath the hood there. Yeah, yeah. 
Thanks. Yeah. So legacy. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I find that I, I actually reference you and your work a lot in the work that I do in education. And I find that I have a little bit of a hard time really characterizing it well or really characterizing exactly what I'm trying to portray when I kind of point to you as a model, um, as, a, as an education model, a model teacher, uh, a model innovator. Um, because what you're doing is so different, right? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's outside the normal frames that we're used to. So I would love to know, like, you know, kind of looking back over your last seven or eight years, even 10 years or, or beyond in education, how would you sum up the work that you've done? What's, what's kind of the thread that's run through it all? Yeah, great question. Um, so I'm in my, I'm in my 11th year of teaching and I've taught everything. I've taught grades K through 12. Uh, my, my, I was classically trained in language arts and English, but I've taught every subject K through 12. I've been a specials teacher. As you know, I've been a principal before, um, all that stuff. And I, I think it, whether I like it or not, there's always a degree of risk taking uh, in what I do. And there's, there's just a degree of, of trying to make the educational experience as enjoyable as possible for students and for myself. Um, because it's, uh, as you, as you know, I have ADHD. And so my mind is always going a million miles a second. And as a result, I'm, I'm always looking for things to, to keep my attention, to keep my students' attention. And that's, that's always been my draw as a teacher is that I like to think that there are uh, performance teachers and process teachers. And of course, those are big general buckets that you could put teachers in. But I definitely consider myself to be a performance teacher. And, and I try to apply as many processes as possible. But it's, it's that conversation of do you invest more in your strengths um, and just forget your weaknesses? Or do you do you try to balance it out? And I certainly try to balance it. But naturally, what's in my DNA, what's the, the way I work is is as a performance teacher. So uh, the way I define that is you put me in front of a group of students and Everything we do is high energy. Everything we do is, I, it's, I guess you could describe it as attention-seeking behavior, but it's <laughs> its positive. It's positive mm -hmm. attention-seeking behavior. And I, I think the last time I read, Gen Z has an attention span of five to seven seconds, mm. which is the amount of time that you have to onboard them right. at any given time. And so uh, that's just kind of where I naturally lean as a teacher. And, and getting back to your original question, I think that risk taking ha just comes naturally with who I am. It it's stressful, it's tiring, it's exhausting, but at the same time, it's exhilarating and, and I love it. What's the biggest risk you've taken that's paid off? The, the greatest professional risk that I've taken uh, has, has probably been where I'm at right now. And, and that's because it, it's, it's challenging in the situation that I'm in, because part of my philosophy is that you can't, you can't create great curriculum unless you're in the classroom. And, and that's not necessarily a rule, but it's a rule for me. And it's from my experience, it's, it's what I've encountered in my own art. And I, in order for me to do that, it's, it's been very difficult to dive into something familiar. So what I'm getting at is that normally when you sign up to do a teaching job, you sign up and you go in and you grade and you are giving 110,000% to that teaching job. And where I'm at right now, it's a really interesting space because I'm, I'm creating and I'm teaching at the same time. And it's, it's, 
the risk is, is that I'm defying different parts of myself. So there's a part of myself that just wants to innovate and just wants to create things. And I want to be in the studio every day and I want to be editing videos and I want to be uh, this afternoon. I shot another music video like that's I, I love that stuff. I love writing uh, content, songs, stories, whatever, everything that will eventually become my curriculum. I love that. But then I think the risk that I take with that part of my personality is I force myself to be in the classroom, which is a very structured space. It's uh, you, unlike a lot of artists, uh, you wake up at a prescribed time every single day. And, and it's not like you wake up to write your novel at 5 a.m. You, you wake up and, and your day is literally interrupted a thousand times by children. <laughs> and so it's, it's really defying that part of my personality that just wants to create, create, create uh, when you deal with children because they, they kind of put the brakes on things. And then the part of me that, that wants to get comfortable in the classroom and just get just settle down and just be comfortable with the system as it is, being in the classroom, you cannot avoid how broken the system is. And so uh, it forces me then to problem solve my way out of it. I think it's very easy to stand on the outside as a creator and just create content and then drop it on kids. And, and a lot of people do that way more effectively than I do. But for me, I, I have to be, I have to suffer a little bit. I have to be in the room and I have to realize that this song that I made that I spent a lot of time on, it just, it doesn't connect with kids and I got to go back to the drawing board. And so I say the biggest risk of my career, and I've taken daily risks, but mm -hmm. the biggest <laughs> risk of my career is definitely um, pushing the different parts of myself to, um, to create and, and yet to exist in, in a common space, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing you say is like you're you're risking where the trade-off is. Like that's you're stepping out into this unknown space and kind of testing the hypothesis that by balancing both of these identities, the work that you're producing, the fruit you're producing, the impact is going to be richer and truer overall in the end than if you were to separate that out and pursue just one of those paths. Is that yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are some of my songs, probably one of my most popular songs right now, Watch Me Polish. That song, it, it was birthed in the classroom. And if, if I hadn't been a classroom teacher, uh, the kids were asking me, hey, I need to pass this state test for writing. It's a uh, text analysis essay. How do I do this? And if I hadn't sat there in class and come up with my own system with my own graphic organizer and then developed a song to teach it, it simply wouldn't exist. And so... I have too many songs to count that that have been created in a classroom space. And yeah, I think it's produced some really good results. You're touching on something right now um, that I've heard you talk about a lot. And I just, I love it so much. And I don't think I've heard, I don't think I've heard it anywhere else, honestly. Um, but you talk about kid energy as the difference maker for curriculum development and for innovating in the classroom, innovating in schools you know, kind of as the special sauce of what you're doing. So could you unpack that a little bit? What What do you mean when you say kid energy and how are you kind of accessing that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So so kids are amazing. You know, it's they are it's it's what makes us want to be teachers. It's what makes us go to school and difficult or, you know, go to work in difficult schools. And kids are just so full of joy. And so of life They're they truly are the best part of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so they but with kids come this energy and this optimism so I teach. I currently teach seventh through twelfth grade, and and I 
you start to see that kid energy, especially in high school, it starts to phase out a little bit. There's um, just the the willingness to engage. And so there's just, there's a lot of, it, it's basically my philosophy on curriculum is that you either have one of two things. Um, you either have time or you have kid energy. Hmm. And if, if you step outside the classroom, you have plenty of time. And that's all the major curriculum companies, uh, all the people who leave the classroom to go work at the curriculum companies, what they find what they suddenly find themselves with is time. And I don't mean that in a naive sense as if they just, they get out of the classroom and they're just like, Oh my gosh, like what's my schedule look like today? It's so open. I mean, those, those people are working really hard to make great curriculum or, or, you know, curriculum. Um, but it's, they, what they do have is they have uninterrupted time or at least what I'm getting at. Every teacher understands what I'm saying. Uh, it's uh, time that is not interrupted by kids on a five times a minute basis. That's what they have. They have time where they can keep a thought and follow a thought and develop it and, and move it through. And then often with curriculum companies, they have a team of people that they're working with, different departments, to make those things become a reality. The other side of things is that if you create in the classroom, if you're a full-time teacher, what you have an abundance of is kid energy. And you just every day, is a, when you're teaching, you just get inspiration, inspiration, inspiration. Mm. You get engagement. The kids are, are completely involved. And it's, it's weird for us teachers because we experience this seasonally. So during the school year, we have all these great ideas because we're exposed to kid energy. And mm-hmm. kid energy is the core of, of creation. At least that's what I think. But all throughout the school year, we're exposed to kid energy, but we just don't have time to create it. We get all these ideas and we don't have time. We don't have the time to put it together. Then after nine months, it's summertime and we have plenty of time to put it together but we no longer have the kid energy that fueled it in the beginning. Mm. And so we, it's just this paradox for us teachers because we have so many brilliant people in the teaching field, but we are just bound either by time or, or rather a lack of time or a lack of kid energy. And so what I try to balance and, and what I wish we could get to uh, eventually, like my ideal workspace would be a space that embraces both because you need to be interrupted by kids. There have been so many times that I've been going down a path and I'm like, this is a song or this is a concept that I'm going to teach and I'm going to teach it this way. And the kids say, that's, that's terrible. Or they just, <laughs> you, you, you turn on the music and they, they just don't react to it at all. The kids that should react to it don't react. And so many times I've had to go back to the drawing board and that's because you just feel their energy, you feel their vibe and you're like, oh, okay, this is going to work. Wow, this is going to work better than I thought it was. Or this is going to bomb and no kid is going to enjoy it. And so it's that's that's where I stand on curriculum is I try to find that balance and it's it is a daily struggle which is why 99.9% of people will not do what I do and that's trying to balance that kid energy with the with the time for creation. Yeah, that makes so much sense and I mean you touched on uh, kind of the systemic constraints a little bit earlier and you know you in the classroom no matter what you're trying to do you bump into those constraints and feel that pain. Um what does harnessing kid energy look like in the classroom on a daily basis? Or what does it look like to not? Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of like hip-hop in a sense. So hip-hop is, the music itself is coming from black culture. It's a reflection of black culture. And and when we talk about kid energy, it's it's really almost impossible to capture or to harness kid energy unless you're doing like an in-the-moment live classroom recording as those kids are learning and, and as those spontaneous, instantaneous moments are happening. Um, it's really hard to capture that kid energy. And so it's 
it's almost as if just as hip hop is trying to capture um, uh, as certain elements of hip hop is trying to capture like the beauty and the grace and the highs and the lows of black culture. Uh, when you create, when you're trying to cre- like create with kid energy, it's really challenging because you either have to capture it when it's there or you have to just create a reflection of it. You have to kind of, uh, you have to create, kind of reach in, find the kid within yourself and try to create something that would connect with kids. And so a, a huge part of it is, as many teachers are great at, is finding the inner child within themselves and and trying to to bring that out as they create art or as they create the lesson to see how that would connect with kids. And so kid energy is a really difficult resource to harness because it's it's everywhere. It's it's abundant. It's a it's a huge resource, and yet uh, capturing that is is very challenging because of, of time constraints and and just you, magical moments happen, and you try your best to hold on to them before they disappear. How do you hold on to them? You take notes during the day. Do you have post-it notes all over your classroom? Yeah, yeah, I do. And and uh, my whiteboard's always filled up. My my notebook is always filled up. I I think I write close to anywhere between a thousand and two thousand words a day. And it's not it's not all put together necessarily. Sometimes I have time to sit down and flesh it out. But every day I'm constantly taking notes. And if and, and it. I may return to something a month later. It may take me a month before I find like the aha moment with one idea or one song, but then I'll return to it and it'll just click in like the missing puzzle piece. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that, I think that's kind of the approach that, or at least that's the approach that I take. I'm not, I'm not the type of person that I can just like, I don't have time to write down a note and then fully flesh it out. I basically keep it and then all the little pieces and then synthesize it later. So I'm wondering because doing education differently, being innovative, taking the time to harness kid energy, creating, you know, within and without the classroom while giving 100% to teaching, all of this is very different from the norm and different from the way uh, the structure is put in place. It's, it's different than what the, the standard structure supports. I'm curious, yeah. how have the administrators that you've worked with um, empowered you in this direction? I have some absolutely fantastic administrators right now um, at the school I work at. And, and I think what it's come down to is they, just as you would, so I, I, growing up, I was a gifted student and, and I like, I, it's not that I'm like a gifted adult by any means. There are a lot of people that are more talented than I am. But I, I say that because in school, when you have a gifted student or you have a student with any number of challenges, you would differentiate for that student or you would you would try to find ways to adapt things so that it would work for them. And I've been at schools where the administrators, they look at me like the alien that I am and they're like, you need to change. You need to change right now. You need to. And, and I mean, my response to that is I have a very clear purpose in life. And if you're asking me to change who I am, of course, there's like reasonable changes you need to make. Sure. There's date that I mean, administrators, a lot of them know what they're doing. Even the ones who I may not necessarily connect with on like a philosophical level, um, I have most respect for almost all the administrators I've had. But um, it's almost this change who you are. And if it comes down to that, my response is usually, well, I, th- I think I've just got to find a different space. Like mm-hmm. I've got to find a space where I can be me and where you know I can I can follow this. And the administrators that I currently have, they do such a phenomenal job of of kind of differentiating um, my role. 
And so they have high expectations for me. They they expect me to do my job well. They you know they're they're always coming through my room and keeping an eye on me. And 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 so I, I want to do that. But then on the other side of things, they say we recognize all of the things that you do. We recognize what this brings to your classroom culture. We recognize the impact that it has on your students. And and it really is rare to be able to go to an administrator. Well, some not for a lot, not for some people, but there are a lot of people. If they went to their administrator and said, "Hey, I have a song. Can I shoot a music video? I've made permission slips. I've cleared it with their parents." And because liability is the number one chief fear of every administrator, a lot of administrators will say, uh, you know what, it's just, I, I don't really feel comfortable. You're going to put it on the internet. You're going to use it for personal use. It's not school affiliated. Uh, you know, I just, I'm, no. And that, that no is just crushing mm-hmm. when, when the person in power says, and it's, it's kind of disrespectful in a sense, because this teacher has signed up for nine months of their life. And if they truly believe that and they do it diligently, then they have locked into a contract for nine months. And so if, if they come to you really passionate two weeks in or a month in and they say, I have this idea, I want to bring it to life. And, and you just say, you say no, uh, instantly that teacher, they, they say, man, I've got like eight more months of this. I have eight more months before I can even get any sort of reprieve. I have eight more months of coming up with ideas and no outlet. It's, mm. it's just, it's this pressure to create, but I can't release it because my administrator is, is filled with fear. And I'm so thankful that I have administrators who trust me because what they do is, <laughs> it's as simple as this. And it's so funny because my administrator, she knows me so well. I say, hey, I've got a music video to shoot. Uh, here's the date. I have permission slips. Everything's ready to go. She's like, that's great. She's like, are your lesson plans in? <laughs> and Becca, you know, you know exactly the struggle there. She's like, are your lesson plans? And she's like, I am, I am totally, totally willing to let you shoot this music video as long as your lesson plans are done and your your forms are filled out and da 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 da. So go down the checklist. And so it, it's great because it's not just this like, why aren't your lesson plans done? It's almost as if like if you were in a classroom mm-hmm. and there's this kid who there's this kid who struggles with basic motivation with like the basic boring classroom stuff. But you're like, hey. If I can hook him with some kind of like art incentive he wants to do off on the side, mm-hmm. I can get this artsy kid to do whatever I want. And so <laughs> my my administrators, they they really just say, hey, as you know, as long as you've got the checks checked off on what you're supposed to do in addition to teaching, uh, then then, yeah, we're, we're totally game for it. And sometimes it surprises me how much trust they have. Um, I, I sent an email about a week ago kind of spontaneous and said, Hey, in a couple of days, I want to shoot a music video. And my administrator, I, in the back of my mind, just like all of us were like, Oh no, what if they say, no, this is going to change my plans. And my administrator just sent back a, sure. Sounds great. And it was, it was so, uh, it was so great just to, to hear her say that. So I have really supportive administrators. It, they, they understand the creative process and they understand what it's like to have creative teachers. And unfortunately there are too many administrators out there First of all, they have no idea what it's like to be creative. And second, they they just don't know how to handle us. And so what they do is they just they they bring in the iron fist and that's the number one way to get uh teachers that the want to create to shut down. Yeah, I I love kind of how you're highlighting the idea of of being yourself and and letting letting your strengths lead in your classroom um, and not saying that this is the way that all educators need to operate, but this is how I am built and this is the strength I can bring to students. And I've heard you say that it's so powerful for your students 
to come in your classroom and experience the fullness of you as a teacher and then to go down the hall and experience the fullness of your colleagues um, yeah. as another teacher in all of their strengths and with all of their their weaknesses as well and and that exposure to all of these different kinds of personalities and strengths and weaknesses in life experience is so beneficial for students yeah and it's this is this is a crazy it's a crazy point to begin with so i'll say that from the beginning but and this is just conjecture so i would not recommend this i, I don't necessarily believe this but i'm just kind of talking out loud the so when we were in school uh, obviously things were a little bit different and and it was there are things that you learn as you were mentioning there are things you learn from good teachers when they're allowed to be themselves and there are things you learn from bad teachers when when you allow them to be yourself themselves um, the the bad thing obviously is that you may not learn biology because your teacher's terrible but <laughs> you 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 learn what it's like to suffer through a bad teacher and right. and, and and that's a lesson in itself and mm -hmm. it almost makes you wonder and again I'm just talking out loud this is not anything I'd write a book on or anything, right. but it almost, it, it almost makes you wonder if, if that kid knowing intimate details about a mitochondria, if, if you have a teacher there, who's just on it, like not necessarily like they aren't showing their full personality, but they're just walking through the textbook and that kid gains a couple more pieces of information about the mitochondria. Is that as impactful as having a teacher that's not that great? But you learn to survive it and you learn what it's like to just have you learn what it's like to have to kind of take care of your own education and learn that lesson. Yeah. And again, in education, we want teachers to be competent. We want teachers. We don't like if I was a principal of a school again, I would not hire a teacher who can't teach. Like I wouldn't be like, you You know, you uh, you're a really bad candidate, but I think you have things to offer our kids. <laughs> <laughs> my kids can really learn from this. Yeah, my kids can really learn from this. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm just saying that if we protect our kids from failure, even if that failure is being exposed to like teachers whose personalities are just kind of like lame or boring or whatever, then it makes you wonder what kind of kids we get in the end or if they're, if they're fully equipped to be able to handle what's on the outside. Yeah. I, I really just believe that everything that we do in education within the classroom and, and without really needs to be guided by these bigger questions of what, what do we really want for students? What do they really need that's going to help them to thrive in their, you know, post K-12 years, in their adult years? What kind of contribution, you know, societally um, are we hoping they make? Like, these are the questions that have to be, they ha we have to filter the more granular questions through those bigger questions. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about liberation education. I am so excited. You are like right on the verge of a launch. Am I am I remembering your timeline correctly? Yeah. So it's it's a week from today. It's it's um it's December eighteenth, and uh, this will be a it'll be a soft launch. It technically our, our our launch will be our main launch when we hope to have everything ready. That will be or at least the first phase ready will be August of or excuse me July of twenty twenty. So a good eight months from now. But uh, yeah, in a week, we have our first soft launch, which is where we're, we will have our ecosystem live. So rather than rather than having to come across our, our stuff by chance on the internet, um, we can, or, or just have random videos in random spots, we can organize them and classify them and put them and group them together. And um, so yeah, this is, this is a foundation that we're laying. 
so excited for you. It's been so awesome to follow your journey with it. Tell us a little bit about what liberation education is. Yeah. So on the base level, there's, there's like a 30,000 foot view that no one understands, but I'm sure you'd understand it. Uh But on the base level, it's an educational Netflix. So it is, uh, teachers will be able, teachers, students, parents, anyone will be able to log in and they will have, uh, they'll be able to subscribe to a network that has on-demand video uh, for kids, which uh, I think what makes it different is that I've kind of reverse engineered it. And that's why it's going to be confusing to people at first and why I'm okay with things moving relatively slow. Even though our launch is next week, I'm not in a hurry to, like I'm not going to be pouring a bunch of money into marketing or anything like that because it's still it's still a process. And um, the reason I say that is, is that I reverse engineered things. So the songs... I went ahead and did the difficult part first. So I, I'm in in total, I want to have 30 units that I create that teach every concept within language arts. And I went ahead and I started creating all of those units or as much of those units as I could. And the songs that I've, or what I've done so far, rather than sitting down and writing lessons, rather than explaining what I'm doing for teachers to use in the classroom, is I've just created the art. And so at least for the next three months or so, when teachers log into liberation education, what they'll mostly be exposed to is art. And and that's some teachers will log in. They'll see it. They'll say, hey, this will fill time in my classroom. It's educational. Cool. I'll run with it. Some teachers will be like, that's that's really like um, I like I get it. I want to make lessons for it on my own. I want to design my own stuff and share that with my students. And then some teachers will log in. And they'll say, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I just can't connect it to my classroom. And that's that's totally okay, because the the videos that will be up are are kind of the the end of the unit, I guess you could say. They're music videos, they're songs, a lot of it's hip hop, but it's in in a lot of ways they're assessments. You know, they uh, they say to begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So I've I've created I've created assessments in a sense, but the assessments are set to to music, and Kids that truly under, understand the concepts, they will know what's being spoken about in the song. They could actually sit down with their teacher in class and they could break down the song and understand the concept or prove their understanding of the concept. And so I went ahead and really the daunting part of creating a video network is creating the videos and creating the music. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so I could sit down and write lessons and I don't want to minimize the work that people who write lessons do because crafting really great lessons, uh, I mean, you've got to be You've got to be good, great, or even a master to create lessons that connect with kids. And so anybody who's out there who's doing stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers, like all power to you. You guys are doing things that I wish I could do in some senses. But I, rather than doing that first and just saying, okay, I'm going to build one unit and I'll make a music video and then I'll spend three months designing lessons around it and then that I'll launch that that curriculum, I wanted to give people a glimpse of the entire thing. And so I, I went ahead and I created the music for at least 15 to 20 units and I went ahead and, and I've been working on whether it's live music videos, animated videos, or lyric videos. I've been creating the videos that go along with that. And so that's what when people log into Liberation, that's what they are going to experience. Uh, it's just going to be it's going to be educational art in a sense. Mm. And and I I think that's why some people will be confused. Uh, and I get that question a lot. What age group is it for? And and not to be vague. But it depends on the song. And, and just like if you were to walk into a, a – you wouldn't walk into an art gallery or necessarily like listen to a piece of music 
and you wouldn't look at the artist and say, excuse me, sir, I was just wondering, um, what is this for like 25 to 34 year olds? Is it for <laughs> 35 to four? You wouldn't ask that question. You would right. listen, you would, you would listen to the music, you would go into the art gallery, you'd look at the piece and you would see if it speaks to you. And so in that sense, if, if a third grader watches my video on, let's say IP or which is on author's purpose and it connects with them, that's great. That's great. Um, if, if a 12th grader uh, watches another video and it doesn't connect with them, but they connect with something else, then, and so it's, it's putting, I don't necessarily put age limits on my stuff. It's just, I've created it and I'm curious to see who will engage with it because in my experience, you, you literally never know who's going to engage with it. Mm-hmm. The, you could put out one song and there could be a third grader bump into it and there, or a kindergartner and there could be a 12th grader bump into it. And, and it's just how they connect with it and how it relates. That's awesome. And, and definitely, uh, complex for sure, but I'm tracking with you. Um, and I know that our listeners will be tracking as well. Uh, I think one of the things that gets me so excited about what you're doing with liberation is the quality of the art is so good. I mean, there's, there's so much in the K-12 curricular space that's just bad. Like it's just, it's just lame. Let's call it what it is. And this is painful. Yeah. And this is so good. It's, it's so high quality. I wonder if we can play a clip. Yeah, absolutely. Y'all know what it is. I'm 2086. R&D, ADHD, mad scientist. Had to go outside the box because the game, it was fixed. Top to bottom, politicians got this thing rigged. And the kids, they are most deserving. But the billions they spent weren't meant for learning. There's a better way to do it. Yeah, that for certain. But they ears full of cash. They can hear the hurting. And that's sick. The product of distance and privilege. All right, so good. Um, So, okay, let's tell me why the name liberation education what's behind that curtain there were a lot of different names that that came up when i was considering it <laughs> because i'm an, a person who generates ideas that i mean i went through a thousand and when i had my school we we did sort of a similar thing but we called it amped like that was our model it, it stood for it was an acronym it stood for art music performance education and i was considering going with amped but it just didn't it didn't have the uh, the word amped it, it fit a it fit a facet of what liberation was going to be, but it wasn't, I, I didn't want, it wasn't designed to just be high energy. Like this is fluff. Like we're, we're really amped and we're learning. Ah, like it wasn't, <laughs> that, that wasn't exactly what I wanted to get across. And so I was just looking for something and I was sitting in an airport in Dallas on my way back from a vacation with my wife and liberation came to mind. And, and, um, I think that, there's just a lot of um, – so I, I would definitely say that I've been influenced in some ways by uh, liberation movements, um, not necessarily in the sense that like communists or anything like that because you know it, there, it gets to an extreme where it's just it, – it, things go crazy. But um, liberation movements, whether it was black liberation, whether it's liberation in South America, liberation theology within Catholicism, and a little bit of that has found its way into evangelicalism um, and and Christianity Christianity at large. Um, I feel like that liberation aspect, it it, it aligns with a lot of what I believe, Um, seeing everyone, thinking and caring about everyone, and wanting to generally see people free. And 
in a broader sense, that is what I've always strived for as a teacher is I've, I've desired to love my kids, but also to, to be free to be myself in the classroom and to be free to create and teach, um, the way that I feel like I was purposed to, to do that. And I think I like it as well because typically, um, Teachers, the the end goal for a lot of teachers, it's really hard to be a teacher these days. It's incredibly hard, as you know. And so I feel like the, the end goal for a lot of teachers these days is they say, like, how can I escape? Like, I, I really need, like, my Teachers Pay Teacher store to take off, or I really need this real estate career to take off, or I really need to become an administrator so I can move. I, I'm just getting burnout. All of those, no judgment on any of those things. Those things are fine. But I think for me, what I'm saying is that for a lot of teachers, liberation means escaping from the classroom. I'm, I'm free from the constraints of the classroom. And what they mean is I'm free from the powerlessness that comes with a classroom. Mm-hmm. If you're a classroom teacher in America, you have to wrestle with powerlessness every day. Um, and But liberation, for me, it's different because I'm such a kind of just – because I'm such an alien in the, in, the, in the modern education system, liberation for me is not escaping. Liberation for me is being allowed to stay, mm. if, that, if that makes sense. Because I feel like they've, they've been forcing a lot of us artists out. If you have divergent thinking, they say, that, that's just, it's too much of a liability. It's not going to work here. Go find, like, go find another school to be in. Not in a bad way, but just you're going to have to find a different space. And for me, liberation is freedom is being able to create within a school space. So wherever I'm at in my career, I want to I want to I want to be able to stay in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I remember we we had a conversation earlier this year and I remember asking you, what do K-12 teachers in the US need? Like what do they need? And your like immediate answer was freedom. They need freedom to be themselves, freedom yes. to freedom to make the impact they want to make, freedom to meet their students where they are, freedom to create. And yeah, it's, it's neat to see how this thread has kind of woven through your life and your work and, and beyond. Um, I'd love to know beyond engagement, uh, because obviously the work that you're doing and you've done for so long has been, I mean, from where I'm sitting, it's it's the most engaging, innovative, dynamic classroom experience I have seen students have. Um, and I, wow, I, thank I, you. I literally, I mean, I'm not exaggerating with that. And that's the story that I tell people. Um, but beyond engagement, right, which is so important, but it's not, it's not the end, right? It's the beginning. Beyond yeah. engagement, teaching students in this way, what is the what is the bigger impact you're seeing for them? Um, and, and maybe even beyond academic outcomes. I mean, speak to that for sure, but yeah, what's yeah. the impact beyond engagement? Yeah. And, and I think any type of curriculum, if I'm, if I'm going to eventually one day call it curriculum, there's, well, first of all, most curriculum companies don't, they, they create, they create it the other way around. So they, they create their product and they test it out and then they, they, on, on the back end of things, they say, okay, it's time to make it engaging. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this really boring curriculum that for a lot of curriculum companies they've recycled through for the past 40 years. Mm-hmm. We're going to take this, this same curriculum and we're going to deliver it in this way. And then we're going to like throw cartoon characters on it. And the lessons 
the cartoon characters are going to teach it. Now they're going to teach it in the same using the same boring script <laughs> we've always used, but the cartoon characters are going to teach the lesson instead. And and so it's the engaging aspect is the afterthought with a, with a lot of curriculum companies. Hmm. And so when I say I reverse engineer things, I have created the engaging part first so that then in the next five or 10 years, as I go back into each unit, as I go back into each, and as I'm going through, I take notes the whole way. So I have pages and pages of notes for each unit. Um, as I go backwards, I already know the engaging piece is there. And so now my job is, is to do due diligence for my students and to make sure that they actually learn something. And so the engagement is the draw that a lot of teachers lack. And I'm not saying that to diss anybody. Uh, some teachers just, they have a really hard time connecting with kids that are of different generations than they were. I mean, I certainly do sometimes. And if a video can create that level of engagement, and then that empowers them to either use my curriculum or another curriculum to teach the same concepts, then then that's a win for everybody. And I think that's why I, when it comes to my curriculum, and I've told you this before, I'm not anxious, even if it was finished today, I wouldn't be anxious to go out and sell it to school districts. I wouldn't be anxious to say, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to sell it to you. We're going to have a login for each student and 10,000 students in your district are going to be logged into it tomorrow. And the reason I wouldn't want to do that is because it would be incredibly ironic to create a curriculum called liberation education. Mm. And then an administrator says, all right, we've bought this for you. Now use it. Right. <laughs> you are now bound to this curriculum, which is what they do with all curriculum. You are now bound to this curriculum, so use it. We paid good money for this, so you got to <laughs> use it. And, and that's that's why I've chosen the subscription model because it allows teachers to engage on their own. If they log in and they say, "Man, this is terrible," then then they don't have to they don't have to use it. If they log in and say, "This is great," like I can totally run with this, then that's fine. And it, it trickles down to the students as well. Students can tell when a teacher hates or or just even does not love the curriculum they're using <laughs> like it's students mm -hmm. they just know and so if uh, as a result like i just want students to when they engage with my curriculum i want teachers who like it to teach it <laughs> like mm. if, if you don't like my stuff please don't show it to children because they're gonna they will associate your dislike with my awesome stuff and so it's <laughs> like if, if I only want you to use it if you think it's awesome because kids pick up those vibes. Like if the person who presents it to them is like, yeah, you know, I just found this. It's kind of useless, but let's watch it. The kids will talk their way through the video. They won't get any of the symbolism or any of the things I'm talking about. And it'll just be like, that was interesting. What else can we consume? And that's not that's not the end goal. I'd say the end goal is that you use it if you like it, but then also – I hope that there's a generation of teachers that this inspires and they say, you know, I think I just like hip hop, like in hip hop, you come out with something and then there are people who are like, that's trash. I can do better. And I hope that I, I influence uh, that I'm part of a new generation of teachers that content creators that create things and we can challenge each other to, to be better. There are so many teachers that are better than me in just about every category. And, but many of them are limited because of the circumstances that they're in. And I'd like to see teachers, I'd like to give teachers a model for that so that they can begin to pursue who they are and create art that connects with them and probably most important connects with their kids because that's the kind of stuff that's going to to shape this next generation of, of educators. We, we cannot leave it up to the curriculum companies because they are in it for the money. 
We can't leave it up to College Board because they're in it for the money. We can't leave it up to politicians because they're in it for the money. We can't leave it up to – and money's not bad at all, but they are, they've been in it for the money for a long time, and they've benefited off of our children, and our children have suffered mm-hmm. because of that. Right. For the teachers that, that you're talking to, uh, the ones that you want to be a model for, and I, I think that you already are, um, but if you were to kind of step to the side and, and look at the path that you've taken forward, what's maybe the, the major barrier that you would want to encourage um, educators like yourself to step over uh, in order to get moving forward on this same kind of path? And this is this is where I, what I was talking about earlier about like how I'm an ideator. When it comes to prescribing things for other educators, I'm very reticent to to prescribe things. I'm more of an idea guy. I just do my own thing. But what I would say is that I feel like we don't know that we don't know that we exist. Like we mm-hmm. us artists us artists educators, we feel like we exist in a silo. And if you, I mean, if you can even meet one other person in your school that it, that has the same mentality, it feels like you're in heaven as an educator. Absolutely. You're like, oh my gosh, there's hundreds of people in the school or 30 people in the school, but there's one person who like doesn't think, they don't think I'm weird, like they get it. <laughs> and when you find that one person, it's, you feel like that's the end all be all and you're like, this is amazing. But what I'd like to see from educators is I'd like for us to come out of the woodwork and I'd like to, for us to eventually, uh, and I hope liberation is a model for this, but I'd like to come up with a network where there's a teacher, like for example, like I know that you're great at Photoshop and anything digital media, but but I'm not. I'm just not. I've tried it over the years. I'm more of a, uh, I'm more of a video, a sort of audio, but definitely writing and lyricism type person. Those are my strengths. Right. And I think that as educators, if we come out of the woodwork, we'll begin to discover that that all of us have strengths that can contribute to each other's strengths. It's like teenagers these days, they're on all these like forums, like on the backside of the internet, and they're communicating with people all across the world, but they're creating beautiful art with them because one person's like, oh, I'm great at mastering songs. And the other person's like, I don't know what to do, but I've got a, I'm really good at writing lyrics. And another person's like, oh, I'm good at, really good at producing. And another person's, oh, I can find you some really good samples. And they just, and these kids do it for free. Like they don't, they don't make money off this stuff, but they just collaborate with each other and they, they make great art uh, that finds its way all over the internet. And in the same way, I think I'd like to, I'd like to find other teachers like me. I have in my career, but like we're rare and I, and I don't think we're actually that rare. I think it's either number one, um, like you've, you've left the teaching career because you've been forced out. Number two, um, you've just kind of settled. You're like, man, I, I'm either going to – there's some part of my personality that has to die, and this is just the one that's going to have to be it. Or you just – you get quiet or any number of things. It's not really – you can't put it in a list. But I, I feel like I would like for those individuals who have those talents to be able to use them and connect with other people. And I feel like that's going to be our strength. Like that's where innovation is going to come in when – when we come together and we start creating with one another uh, and and even just pointing like in the short term, here's what I would like. I would like to find other people, whether they're making hip hop songs, whether they're making pop songs, whether they're making country songs, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I, I would love to use my platform to say, Hey, you guys got to check this out. This, this is awesome. Like this person, this person is in Minnesota and they are creating some really great art. Check out their, their YouTube video and, and just a community of educators. But I think you, you 
tapped into it earlier when you said that it, what I'm striving to do is quality work. There are a bazillion teacher parodies out there. Like I'm going to do a parody of who let the dogs out. I'm going to do a parody of a Sam Smith song. I'm going to do a parody of it. Just, I'm going to take this beat and I'm going to make it my own. And there's all, the, there's all kinds of that stuff like that out there. But that it, it, in a sense, it kind of, people look at that and they're like, that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad you found a way to motivate students. But in the end, uh, you get, I've done that many times in my career. And at the end of it, you get to the end of it and the song ages really quickly. Mm-hmm. And also you didn't pour enough time into the lyrics to make it outlast the, cl- the current class that you had. So, or you may, you may get to the end of it and you may be like, you know, it works really well in the song, but I, I've kind of evolved the way that I teach it. And I, I don't really want to teach it that way anymore, but now it's bound in the song. And so it, that took a lot of time. So I just got to play the song now for my kids. And, and there's, there's not as much originality and there's not as much quality in it. And, and so what I'm hoping to do with my stuff is the originality will, I mean, that's always going to be there. The quality, I'm tempted to release low quality stuff all the time just to mm-hmm. get it out. But the, I, I do take very good care to release high quality stuff. And uh, the music video I was shooting this morning, it cost me an extra two hours because I, I, in my head, I envisioned what it was going to look like. And then I set up my set and I realized it could be better. And so I spent some some time tweaking it and making it perfect as much as I could. And it turned out really, really good. But it took that extra time. And so you have to have you have to have a creative eye to like you do. You have to have a creative eye to pull that stuff off. And and I feel like other teachers, when they see my stuff, I hope that they'll see it and they'll say, OK, what this guy's calling us to do is not just to create teacher videos that we can share on social media. What he's calling us to do is to create quality content that that teachers can run with, that can inspire other teachers, that can take our field and uh, original content creation to new heights. And those are the type of people that I want to draw. Hmm. Yeah, I love that you're tapping on on the community aspect. And I think that another reason why it's so difficult to find the people who are like you or find the others, um, as Seth Godin likes to say, is because education is is fragmented. It's decentralized. It's It's designed to be that way, right? And so... Yeah. We, we know who we can see. We know who we talk to every day. We know who might come across our paths on social media. Um, but that's about it. And I absolutely will affirm um, your feeling, you know, your experience that there are others out there. There there are and there are more than we know. And that's in part why this podcast exists uh, is to, you know, yeah. raise that level of visibility. So so everyone who is trying to do something differently in education and bring this kind of work um, to the space can find each other and spur each other on and co-create together and collaborate. And, um, yeah, I'm yes. so, yeah, I know. Right. Like, I'm so glad you touched on that because that's, that's my jam. I mean, that's, that's what we need and, and that's the direction we have to go in. So I'm a hundred percent on board. <laughs> my bold prediction for you is that at some point there will be a blockbuster movie made about your work in education and I have to ask, who would play you? <laughs> uh, who would play me? Um, well, I mean, if, if said movie was made, it would probably be made like 50 years from now. And so the person that, the person that would play me is probably like in the womb or not even existing yet. But getting at like a current actor that I would choose to play me, um, I would... 
I think I know who I'd want to play me, and this is simply because I there's there's something about him that I remind people of him, and he reminds people of me. And and when you look at us, there's there's some similarities, but I, I think that Casey Affleck, um, could, huh. I think Casey Affleck could probably um, not just pull off like what I do in the classroom, but he could probably pull off. Actually, I don't know if Casey Affleck's a rapper. Which that could be that could be mm, a challenge, but I, point. but he does he does look like me to he a degree, does. and so I I think that he would be a good choice. So interesting, and I can absolutely see that, and I would have never guessed that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for indulging me on that. I've literally never asked anybody that question, but <laughs> I I do. Yeah. I often think about I often think about what would a movie of your life be like, um, and I, I will not be surprised if at some point down the road there is one made. Um, okay, but as we start to wrap things up here, I always really love to ask my guests who they're giving an A to right now. So for you, educator, someone in your life, someone assisting your work, students, whoever it might be, looking out kind of in your life's landscape right now, who are you giving an A to? I There are several people that I give A's to. Um, I the I mean, the, the most obvious one is my wife, and that's because she puts up with this stuff, and, and she she gets it. She, she gets it, but she doesn't get it. But she gets that she doesn't get it. And so she, she, she's so accommodating in so many senses. And so, like, she gets a huge A-plus because she's just been so supportive of, of this particular stage of risk-taking in my life. Um, but I'd say, as far as education goes, I, I think I'm inspired. Uh, I think that I... Uh, I think that I'm inspired by the teachers who just who are doing what I'm not doing. Those teachers who come in and they spend countless hours. And I've I've been I've done that before in my teaching career. I mean, you and I did that for several years on end. Uh, you know, working 12-hour days, mm-hmm. day after day after day, in like in the same classroom on the same campus. And so we know what that looks like, but while I'm off doing some of my extra art stuff, I'm still absolutely and utterly amazed by those teachers who are giving 200% to students because I know the cost that it comes with. I know I know what they are surrendering to be able to do that. And and like I said, the last part of my name is XXOO, and and, and that's they're playing the role of a parent. They're playing the role of a mentor. They are personally. And, and I don't want to make it sound like teachers should be self-sacrificial because in many ways we need to stand up for our own rights and, and preserve those. Mm-hmm. But there is something incredibly powerful about teachers who give of themselves constantly so that other students can open their eyes and have better lives. I mean, that's the essence mm-hmm. of what a teacher is. And I think uh, I would also give an A to to new teachers who are entering the field because the education system has become so destabilized that they are – just in many cases, they are just thrown in and and just told to go. And I, I, I give them an A because they're trying and because they are are given an almost impossible situation and and they are trying to problem solve and they are trying to love kids in the midst of it. So I'd say I'd say, you know, my wife for her support, 
I'd say those teachers who are experienced teachers, that, or not even experienced teachers, but just teachers who are giving like their all so that students can succeed. And then anyone who's willing to take the risk to dive into the current state of education, because it's a, in some cases, it can be the Wild West. Yeah. So good. So 20, closing out here, how can people get connected with you? How can they get connected with your work and with Liberation Education? Yeah, so uh, social media, you can type in Liberation Education. I believe it's at Liberation Ed. For me personally, it's at 2086XXOO. That's 2086XXOO. There's not much There's not much stuff on, on that right now, but there will be over the coming years. And um, yeah, and then also through Liberation, our network, and that will be launching um, at the web address uh, liberation.education. So not liberation.com, but Liberation dot education. You can also find it through liberationeducation.net, liberationeducation.org, liberation. Blah blah blah. We I, I have all the do, I have all the domains, but uh, it's that's except for the dot com. But that's the easiest way to to find us. And um, yeah, I just love it. If if any educators hear this and they want to reach out and touch base and and just kind of uh, just connect, that would be that would be awesome. I may not respond as quickly as I'd like, but. Uh, the existence of a community sounds, I mean, that sounds amazing to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, make sure we have all those links in the show notes and, and on my website as well. So it'll be really easy for folks to find you. Um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Tony, this has been so good. I've so enjoyed this conversation. I was so looking forward to having it. So thanks for jumping in and like everything else, bringing your whole self to it. Y'all, thank you so much. And thank you for doing it. This is great. I, um, I, I hope that more and more teachers pick it up and start listening to it. And like, uh, this needs to, this needs to be that thing that I was talking about where, where we all connect with one another. I couldn't agree more. I'm so glad 20 brought up the need to see others like us and to not only know that we exist, but to connect and collaborate and create. This is a refrain I've heard from so many next level educators and the reason why I created the teacher mastermind. If you found yourself saying yes to that need to find the others, it might be time to think about taking the next step. Go to teachermastermind.com or send me a message at Rebecca at teachermastermind.com and let's talk. Thanks for listening to this episode. For resources and details, check out the show notes or go to offtheassemblyline.co. Until next time, keep making a ruckus.